I wanted to talk a little bit about the idea of rituals and traditions. We have a tendency to view all ritual as bad ritual. We have a tendency to view all tradition as bad tradition, and we have a tendency to view all liturgy as dead, empty services devoid of the Holy Spirit's power. But the reality is Jesus gave us traditions, not dead traditions, but traditions that are meant to be filled with faith so that the Holy Spirit comes and meets us in those traditions and forms us into his people who carry his heart in our lives. Jesus gave us traditions. He taught his disciples to pray. He taught his disciples to pray by themselves. He taught his disciples to give sacrificially and to give regularly. He taught his disciples to fast and to fast regularly and to fast with the right intent, to give with the right intent, to pray with the right intent. So he gave his disciples a pattern to follow when he broke the bread and when he gave thanks to the Father. He did it the same way every time, so much so that the pattern, the ritual of how he prayed before meals was how his disciples recognized him after the resurrection. They recognized him in the breaking of the bread. Why? Because he had a ritual. He had a way he did it every time that was filled with deep biblical truth. And because he did it with sincerity, it wasn't dead tradition. It was living tradition. It wasn't empty ritual. It was full ritual. Intentionality. You don't accidentally follow Jesus. Nobody accidentally follows Jesus. Nobody accidentally develops a relationship with their wife or their husband. Nobody accidentally gets really good at playing basketball. Nobody accidentally masters an instrument musically. Nobody accidentally grows up in Jesus and obeys the Lord and is fruitful in the things of the kingdom. Nobody does that accidentally. Everybody does it because they choose to do it and they choose to show up. What if I told you that if you show up and you mean it and you bring your heart, he'll show up and he'll mean it and he'll bring his heart. What if I told you that he's commanded you to pray and seek his face and he's promised that if you seek him, you would find him that he, because he wants to be found. What if I told you we're commanded to crave spiritual milk like newborn babies and cry out for it, knowing that if we crave it and come to God to get it, He's going to give it. And what if I told you that everything I just said is what the spiritual disciplines are about? Ew. Have you ever understood the crushing, debilitating weight of being an evangelical and having to come up with something meaningful and make something spiritual happen in your prayer life, in your Bible reading, in your spirituality? Do you understand the crushing weight we evangelicals put on ourselves with this whole relationship with Jesus thing? Other people know stuff. There are tools in other parts of the body of Christ. There are gifts and graces in other parts of the body of Christ. Let me give you an example. The Lutherans, at least Luther, understood justification by faith so well. The Reformed Christians, the grace of God, that, that without grace, we really have no good in us. We won't come to God on our own. He must draw us. Presbyterianism has a profound understanding of the idea of covenant. Methodism has such a grasp on holiness. The Anabaptists have such a beautiful vision of Jesus and the Sermon on the Mount. The Baptists have such a passion to evangelize and see people converted. There's been all these different graces tucked into the global body of Christ, but we have been so insecure that we've said, we have the truth, and if they do it different, they have to be stupid and wrong. 
But what if we're both right about the things we hold dear and we're meant to learn from each other how to serve our common Jesus, the Savior we have in common, better? What if I'm meant to learn some things from my Greek Orthodox brethren about prayer and meditating on the scripture and taking communion with a deeper reverence and an appreciation for the fact that Jesus is actually among his people in the sacraments? What if I'm meant to understand some things that Catholics know a little better than I do about the fact that there is such a thing called the communion of saints? That the body of Christ is one, not just all over the world, but the saints in heaven and the saints on earth are still vibrantly, realistically connected. What if there's stuff we're meant to learn from the other parts of the body of Christ, but we're too proud to get it? And God knows that the only way for us to get there, wherever there is, this place that, that looks, a kingdom that really looks like Jesus, is together. Worship leaders and preachers. Every good worship leader who's worth his salt isn't just trying to lead singing. He's trying to set a platform. He's trying to create an environment for people and for God to encounter each other in a meaningful way. Am I right? And every preacher who's worth his salt is not just instructing us on how to live. Come on! Every preacher who's worth his salt is trying to create an environment for people to encounter the kingdom of God here and now in the moment of the preaching. In fact, if you aren't preaching to create an environment for people to encounter God right here and now in the room, then you aren't preaching correctly. Both of those things I just said, the singing and the preaching, those are spiritual disciplines. Means of grace. Well, here's what I'm trying to say. The point of spiritual disciplines is relationship with God. The point of sacraments is encounter with God. John Wesley called the sacraments things like prayer and giving and preaching and singing and worshiping and serving and fasting, all the stuff. He called those means of grace. Means of grace. In other words, grace doesn't just plop out of the sky randomly. God has tucked grace, actual favor, he's tucked it in certain activities that he has given us as gifts that are meant to feed and shape and form us as people so that we are equipped to love God and love others. So we're equipped, in other words, to know God. Passion or discipline? I know God loves my passion. He loves relationship. He wants my heart. It's what he's after. But I also remembered a quote from C.S. Lewis that said, when obedience is the hardest, that's when it means the most to God. And so I just said, Jesus, I'm a little confused here. I know you're not about legalism. I know you're not about empty form devoid of passion. Jesus, do you prefer my passion or my discipline? And right away he said, Tim, I prefer your passion every time, but in order to sustain your passion over time requires discipline. Jesus is really smart. Think about that. Sex and Holy Communion. So look, come on. Who in their right mind is going to tell people, you should make love in your marriage less often because it'll be more meaningful. If you only have sex twice a year as a married couple, those two times are really going to be exciting. Yeah, maybe. Maybe those two times would be more exciting. But you know what else is going to happen? Is your relationship is going to suffer. Oh boy, that's a bad metaphor. I remember a teacher saying, one of the problems with only having communion quarterly is it seems to really dramatically uh, lack an awareness of just how prone to stray God's people's hearts are. And communion, in other words, in this guy's mind, is a genuine means of grace 
And as we eat the meal, we are sobered with the reality that Jesus died to bring us life and to bring us home to the Father. And we need that reminder and we need that reality constantly, not quarterly. We need to be formed by this reality as a people. We are those for whom Jesus has shed his blood to redeem us from the stuff that, quite frankly, still has way too much hold on our hearts and minds and lives. Rhetorical questions. Have you ever been at a weekend retreat and somebody's trying to teach you how to pray and they're trying to tell you that it's very important to learn how to be still in God's presence and just be? And have you ever had them ring a little bell to signify that 15 minutes of doing nothing have begun and now you're supposed to just sit with God and do nothing and just be with God? Have you ever felt that during those 15 minutes that you don't really know how to just be still and know that God is God? I have. Would you like to learn? Would you like to learn how to be still in God's presence and let Him be God? Would you like to learn different pathways that you can travel that are tried, tested, and true? Tried by thousands of years of believers long before you ever were born and will be used long after you and I are on to our reward? I would. So if you're listening to this and you're like, oh my word, I want to do that, then come to Gateway this January 3rd, 4th, and 5th and enjoy the conference. But if not, if you're listening to this after January the 3rd and you're like, I want some spiritual disciplines in my life, I think a great place to start would be John Orberg's amazing little book, The Life You've Always Wanted. If you want to go deeper, go to Dallas Willard, who taught John Orberg, and go to his book called The Spirit of the Disciplines. Be blessed. Bam.